0: Let's do it. You ready? Now, yeah. Arizona. Yeah, you know it, boy. You know it. Welcome to a Saturday night right here in Phoenix, Arizona. Okay.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Arizona.FYI podcast. My name is Mark. Today we'll be talking to Bree Nation from Arizona Stronghold Wines, also the Oddity Wine Collective. We'll be doing so from outside the beautiful Clarkdale, Arizona location of 4-8 Wineworks Tasting Room. So please excuse the quality of this recording. However, I think the quality of our guest will more than make up for it. So without further ado, we hope you enjoy our interview with Bree Nation about Arizona wine. Downtown Parkdale, outside. It is raining. It's beautiful. It's 72 degrees. I am Mark. This is Karen. Hi, I'm everybody. Brie. And Bree is here as well. From, uh, what are you from?
2: Well, I am from the Oddity Wine Collective. Yeah. Which is a new wine label coming out, and also from Arizona Stronghold Winery, which is a wine brand that some of you maybe already know and drink and love.
1: Hopefully, you can find that uh, pretty much everywhere.
2: Yeah. I mean, grocery store. Local
1: Trader Joe's and. all uh,
2: Yeah. The really smart restaurants who
1: know what kind of wines to carry. Arizona wines, local wines, was out there on the street team for that.
2: So what got you interested in wine break? Well, a couple of things. Um, Mom, and I will quote her on this, always said, I'm gonna start getting you to taste my wine now while you're young because I don't want you to be drinking Boone's Farm
1: <laughs> later on in life. <laughs> That is good. That's good parenting, right there. Yeah, very great parenting.
2: parenting. You know, so like the appropriate really amount of wine. You know, like yeah. a tastes of her wine, or you know, like a very small glass of wine with dinner. You know, appropriate amounts of wine for a kid.
1: Yep, I think everyone had that story. Yeah, you know, you're 12 years old. Your grandpa's like, here, have small. Yeah, wine. it's
2: fine. Yeah. So um, that, and then working in restaurants during college, just learning wine through the trade that way.
1: Nice. And uh, Clarkdale Cottonwood have had the growing wine culture, I guess. It's Actually, oh, yeah. I would say it's a culture now.
2: I would agree with that.
1: Uh, and the community college nearby is doing the viticulture, viniculture, the programs that are teaching people how to do that.
2: Exactly, yeah. So those are um, viticulture and enology for anybody enology. who's interested. It's a two-year associate degree that's offered through Yavapai College in their Verde Valley campus, which is also here in Clarkdale. And they actually have now a tasting room and a fully functioning winery on campus. So not only do they grow the grapes on campus, they harvest them, they make wine in the winery, and then they sell it through a tasting room. So you're really getting a lot of the aspects of the business and the program there. Um, I think in the future they intend to um, do some culinary programs from the same campus, as well as maybe some business courses to go along with. Wine, wine business and that side of
1: right things. On. That's one of the, the things that I always think of. Like, I went to art school when I was just out of high school. One of the things they didn't teach us there was how to use this in business. Sure. That's one of the most important things to know in a trade school is how do you go out and sell yourself? How do you create a brand? How do you do any of that stuff? That's,
2: exactly.
1: That's important stuff. Or start an LLC. Yeah.
2: Set up one of those. How to
1: do your taxes for the yeah. first couple of years.
2: All of these things are good to know. That's wonderful.
0: Because, yeah, you don't get that kind of education without... In most places, like going to college, they just sort of go, here's this information, Mm -hmm. good luck.
1: Well, you know all the technical (laughs) things on how to do the thing, but a lot of life is all of the meta things around that. Yeah. How do you interact with other people? How do you run your business? How do you keep out of jail from tax fraud?
0: (laughs) How long has the program been going on at the Clarkdale campus?
2: Um... This is where I'm going to throw out my disclaimer. Everything that I say might not be true, because I might believe it to be true, but I might not be 100% correct.
1: We're right there with you.
2: Um, <laughs> my frame of reference is sometimes skewed. I would say maybe four or five years.
0: So it's still a pretty new yes. program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have graduated from or I are did. still in the process?
2: I graduated a year or two ago-ish. Give or take. Again, time frames. (laughs) Bad with those. All good? All good. I think almost two years ago. That's wonderful.
0: So a lot of people that you were in classes with, have they stayed here in the Verde Valley? or?
2: Yeah, so um, the Oddity Wine Collective, which I mentioned when I uh, said hello, is basically a product of of that time that I spent at Yavapai College, so I, like moved, I, yeah, I moved here from Phoenix and met a lot of people in the industry, was working in the industry, going to school for a specific thing, and um, I met my current boyfriend through the school there, and our business partner Dave, and so the three of us now uh, have our own business, our own wine label that we just started through a cooperative here in Clarkdale where we're currently having a beer, 4.8 Wineworks. Yep. And we'll be releasing our first wines here before the end of the year, nice. so. So
1: the thing I find interesting about 4.8 Wineworks is that it's the collective, it's democratizing the process of wine. It, it, it takes the, the upfront capital cost of getting all of the equipment and all of that and the, having people to talk to and the mentorships takes a lot of that out because you can come here and, and process a lot of your stuff, is that true?
2: Yeah, so I'd say this is this is the incubator. You know, it's not meant to be a place where a wine label lives for a terribly long period of time. Um, it's a great way for people who don't have millions and millions of dollars yep. to get started in the wine industry. Uh, basically, you do have to have your your own knowledge because you're you're making your own wine. You have to have your own license, your own federal bond, and your own barrels racks and you orchestrate your own fruit, so you either grow your own grapes or purchase your own grapes from growers, get them delivered to the winery somehow, um, are in charge of all of your own bottling supplies, but other things are provided like the large equipment that it takes to make wine, so the press and the destemmer and the forklift and the space itself which has to be kept at a cool temperature in the desert, which is rough sometimes. (laughs) I would Um, think too, like they probably
0: cover the insurance and all of the... Oh,
2: we have our own insurance. Do
0: you? Mm -hmm. Oh, that makes sense. I think they probably
2: have their own insurance as well. You could never be too cautious there. I'm always the devil's advocate.
1: (laughs) Former insurance agent. Former
0: insurance agent, current banker. It's like, wait, so how are you doing that? Right. (laughs) But sometimes with it being new and being a, a something where you've done this in school and you've had that experience and now all of a sudden you're doing it on your own, what was the scariest aspect? That, oh my God, I'm stepping off the plank moment that you had?
2: I think that all three of us probably would answer that question differently. But I'd say for me, there are two moments that come to mind. Um, The first was just figuring out how to set up a business, as I mentioned earlier. I mean, I, my bachelor's degree is in sustainability. I've never once in my life taken a business class or a course, and so I had no idea how any of that worked. And luckily we had a friend who was amazing and helped us with all of that. Um, couldn't have done it without him. And um, our partner Dave's wife, Shelley also has been helping quite a bit with that. The other moment is uh, the first time we received fruit. So, you know, we're ready We're as ready as we're going to be at this point. Um, We've been been through the school and we've done it, you know, hours working in cellars with other people. But...
1: Congratulations. Here's a ticking time bomb.
2: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it was just like, okay, and uh, so they're harvesting our grapes tonight and they'll be there in the morning. And it was like, all right, go time. I imagine it's like the first time people are having a child. I don't really know. I, I would I would say so, but
1: you, have you guys gone through that twice now, or is it just the first?
2: We're first? about to go through it for our second okay. time. Well, but but the all the grapes get harvested at different times, so like <laughs> we went through it multiple times You're last season. You're still first-time
1: parents, though. Is what I'm saying.
2: Yeah, and and we're about to bottle our first wines here on Tuesday, which is two days three days from now. Awesome. And so that also I feel like is is a little bit like giving birth to a thing. Now it's going to be in a bottle. And it's, it's going to be in the world as a thing, yeah. mm-hmm. which is really exciting. That's yeah. awesome. Until then, I always feel like something could go wrong. But yeah. now, like once it's in the bottle.
1: I feel that all the time about I everything that sick. I do, even if it has no stakes whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I always feel that, well, taking pictures about something or whatever.
0: Yeah. How are people going to receive it? Yeah. What am I mm-hmm. going to do with it?
1: eventually I just said, "Yeah, it's <laughs> good. Yeah. I'm just going to do it, and it's going to be what it is, and I'm not going to worry about it.
2: Mm-hmm. And we're really excited. With a, with a commercial
1: venture, it's a little bit more. Yeah.
2: We're really excited and a little bit scared. Yeah, that's good, And though. that's pretty much the whole experience that we've had so far has been like, excitement and fear.
1: The fear keeps you honest. Yeah. And that's that's good. It keeps you motivated, keeps you moving in the right direction. That's true.
0: So I can already see a part two come November.
1: We'll need a follow-up on Okay. Because by actor, then you'll have yeah. gotten...
0: You'll, you'll have had two releases. And we'd yeah. like to drink some of it. So you'll, you'll be like, oh, we did the one. Now we've done the second one. And we can come back and do the what would you do different. Right. And what was what was the next scary
2: part? Yeah. yeah. The release itself, at least we've all worked in tasting rooms. So we all know how wine release parties go. Mm-hmm. And that'll be the fun, the unveiling.
0: Because at your, your current position at the other winery... You've had a lot of experience covering different areas. Like, Absolutely. So so you got the knowledge, but I'm sure even though you've worked with them and you've done everything, it's still so cool that this is gonna yeah. be your baby.
2: And it'll be that moment of truth too where people will be drinking our wine and they will have opinions. Will they
0: and you'll get tell to stand you? there and go, yeah. I made that and I
1: made that. Can you trust them? That's the That's, even if people are like, oh my god, it's so great, it's like Really? You but you're my friend. That? Yeah, so you're my friend. You don't, you don't even say.
2: count right now. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Genuine feedback is very valuable.
2: It'll be, I think, more interesting as our wine is being poured and sold mm-hmm. to pop into the tasting room where people don't know who we are mm-hmm. and we can maybe see people like honest people's honest reaction to the wine. That'd be interesting.
0: Do a few. Uh, I know as cheesy as it sounds, but just those. Nice little generic. I don't want to know who you are, but take my little survey because oh, yeah. people sometimes feel more honest when they know that their piece of paper is just going to go in a pile of other pieces of paper. That's oh, sure.
1: the entire. That's, yeah. That's what all of internet commerce and and commentary on the internet is all about. It's anonymous commentary. People will tell you exactly what they think because they don't think that you know who they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And then you'll
0: be like, Oh, I recognize that signature <laughs> or that <laughs> handwriting. Yeah.
1: Of course.
0: But um. So. How have your tastes changed over from the time your mom let you sample till the time you actually, like, went and bought your first bottle of wine?
2: Wow. Um, So very much. They have changed an infinite amount. Um, I mean, even from the time that I bought my first bottle of wine, when I still didn't really know anything about it. Do you remember what it was? I don't. I was really poor, so it's something cheap, I'm sure.
1: Yep. We've all been
2: there. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, like, I probably bought it instead of food. <laughs>
1: We've all been there. <laughs> it's a there. fruit?
2: What are you yeah. talking about? Anyway. It's totally a fruit. Liquid dinner. It's called yes. liquid dinner. Um, so, I don't know what the first bottle of wine was that I purchased. It was probably something from the fries near my college apartment in Tempe. And who knows? But it really wasn't until I moved up here to this region. I mean, even working in a restaurant, I only gained like a top layer, if you will, of of what the wine and, wine knowledge in general really. And then it wasn't until I moved up here that I started learning about the intricacies of it. Yeah, so it's now, we actually were talking about this last night, you know, we sit there, we smell it, we pick it apart, we taste it, we talk about the nuances and about um, you know, the acidity and the body and the balance and the tannins and the structure and everything else. And it's this thing that we always dissect. And sometimes I kind of like miss the days when I could just get a glass of wine and enjoy it um, and not think about it. And sometimes you know, there's that point in the evening that you definitely go to, to that place. But You never start <laughs> off there anymore.
1: I'm on the, uh, I, can, I can say three things about any one glass of wine. I can tell if it's jammy, I can tell if it's dry, I can tell if it's fruity. That's about as far as I've gotten. I'm working on it, but it's slow. I'm not, I'm not a subtle kind of person, so I don't necessarily notice the little tiny int- intricacies. I'm going to have trouble with that word, too. But You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, it's spreading like a mind virus. <laughs> um, yeah, like, I, it's all subtleties, and appreciating those subtleties is, a, mm-hmm. is an art, I guess. So. Yeah. The more you try, the better you get.
2: But I'd also like to say that the bottom line is, if you like it, drink it. If you don't like it, then don't drink it. I mean, yeah. don't like it just because somebody says it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And good is pretty subjective. I mean, if it's not flawed, flawed would be bad. Yep. But if it's not flawed, then it's very much subjective. And if you say that you smell raspberries, and you believe that you smell raspberries and nobody else says that they smell raspberries that doesn't mean you're wrong no it may mean you're having Everyone's a stroke
1: ever. but it, yeah, you're not wrong maybe <laughs>
2: yeah you <laughs> could be having a stroke so you should probably just make sure that you're not and so then continue drinking you know terroir,
1: terroir 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 yeah yeah do you how do you feel about that is that a thing that total actually thing exists?
2: okay total thing um it's kind of like
1: Grand Cru, the...
2: Well, so terroir is every influence that the environment that the grape was grown in Mm -hmm. that you can pick up through the finished wine.
1: Okay.
2: So, for instance, when I did an internship at a vineyard in California... Um, they were doing a lot of changes in the way that they were handling wildfires in the region at the time, and mm. they were just kind of letting it go instead of running out and putting in, putting out the wildfires.
1: I see a lot of, like, scientific changes of maybe that's putting more carbon into them. Well, basically,
2: they, they, they absorb the smoke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that vintage, the winery that I worked at, they had to sell off that, that wine because, and. Sell it to larger producers who would blend it away into things because it was so incredibly smoke. It tasted like liquid smoke. Wow. Yeah. So and and that'll and that they were right on the cusp of the fires too. So I mean, it happened to them pretty significantly. Um, But even if you know if there are just a lot of wildfires in the distance, you might
0: that subtlety yeah. that it's lo- close enough yeah. to
2: and that might be kind of a neat nuance of that of that vintage yeah. where it's slightly smoky and you see that across the board with wines from that vineyard.
1: That's that's even something that you could put into a marketing materials and yeah. say, Oh, we had fires in the area, you can taste the smoke. Exactly. Look for that taste when you taste our wine. You should buy it. Eucalyptus anywhere.
2: is another thing. If there are a lot of eucalyptus trees really. near your vineyards, you're that's Definitely something that you can smell later on in the wine and becomes a part of there's it. There's a
1: lot of those down in Phoenix, and we had we, I mean Phoenix, not recently, but when I was growing up, there were like you pick vineyards where you could just go and get table grapes and just take them home and eat them, and that was you know, right south of Waddell, like mm-hmm. on the west side. Uh, in my research for for all the history stuff, I'm finding like there's vintedaire, which is basically like oh, it's the local wine. You go to the hotel in 1910. The hotel in 1910 has the local wine that some guy was making out back. And there's all these like, just forgotten fields. Uh, a lot of places are, a lot of the news articles that are trying to get people to move to Phoenix back in the 1890s, 1910s, they're all, this place grows apricots, figs, dates, uh, grapes, has great wines, has good beer, da da da, all these things. And then I feel like that like went away for a while. You didn't hear about that anymore. But Phoenix had been known for its grapes and its wines, and that disappeared. Yeah, there the, were
2: there were lots of people growing vineyards here in Arizona pre-prohibition. Yep. Yeah. And Arizona, and again, the disclaimer really <laughs> applies at this one. Um, but from what I understand, Arizona heard about this concept of prohibition and was like, "That sounds great, sign us up." Before it was actually a federally enacted.
1: We were a few years, several years before. That's yeah. so But that sad. was that was a trend around the nation. So. so
2: kind of special which i think is kind of funny cuz when i think of cowboys you know and what the wild west must have been like i think people would have appreciated drinking but some, yeah. some
1: people would have argued that maybe drink, drinking was the reason it was a wild west perhaps and maybe if there weren't so much if there wasn't so much whiskey there wouldn't have been so much violence
2: <laughs> maybe i don't know but we can, in we any can case right. yeah so i'm definitely when, on your
1: side in that i'll just say that so right. when
2: arizona had its prohibition um, they pretty much went around and prosecuted anybody who was growing wine grapes. Like, even really? if they didn't find that they were making wine, or they'd be, they'd keep a really close eye on them. Um, there were actually some grapes. There was a guy, Henry Sherman, um, who, there's there was this grapevine that was grown here in this region. I think it was down over, close to the, the Verde River somewhere. <laughs> and... Um, those vines originally were pre-Prohibition and that winemaker got sent to jail. Yeah. Which is sad. So, so, all the vineyards that were here before Prohibition got ripped out. Now, places like California that have vines that are pre-Prohibition, they had their little loophole where they were like, oh, but we need to make wine for sacramental purposes. So they kept...
1: Yep. Or mostly medicinal mission,
2: purposes. Yeah. Mission grape varietals um, planted for sacramental wine. And that's how you still had grapevines and wine being produced in California throughout Prohibition. Arizona didn't really have that loophole. We did have
1: medicinal. When I was, um, my dad and I went down to Florence, down south of Phoenix. <laughs> okay. And one of the things in their little, uh, their museum there was an entire thing that was like, there's a dentist chair from the turn of the century. There's a bunch of other things. Here's a case of medical marijuana and medical Alcohol prescriptions that have been filled out for specific people and signed and all this stuff. That's cool. So and it's just cool. a stack of all these like. That was definitely a thing. Like we we were like oh prohibition. Here's a here's a thing for two bottles of whiskey a week.
2: That is awesome. Yeah, I
1: that definitely happened here.
2: We were so we weren't, we weren't completely dry. Something.
1: Oh yeah, it's totally like the 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 medical marijuana of like oh I have pain and I can't sleep. Okay. Here you
2: go. Here's your card. Which is
1: silly, and uh, anyway, yeah. prohibition is not a good idea. But no, that's it's a terrible, political view of yeah. my own.
2: Yeah. But really, yeah. prohibition's awful. I agree.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: so anyway, Arizona didn't start having vines again until, like, on a commercial scale until um, the late 60s, early 70s, okay. when uh, there was actually somebody, I believe it was a professor at U of A, that decided he wanted to try growing wine grapes, um, and planted some wine grapes near tucson i think the first attempt didn't work out but the second one did and i believe that is what is the um, Buell memorial vineyard now wow so this is a vineyard that's in wilcox um we arizona stronghold get fruit from there we oddity wine collective get fruit from there Um, it's a pretty big vineyard, and there's a lot of different, uh, warmer climate grape varietals being grown there that are really good. Is that the one
1: that Karen and I visited, or?
2: No, you guys came to the Bonita Springs Vineyard, which is a different part of Wilcox.
0: So tell us a little bit, because you made a, you just made a reference to the warmer. What's different between grapes grown here in Arizona versus grapes grown in California?
2: Well, one of the major differences is definitely the maritime influence. You know, you have the the ocean near California, obviously, and that has um, effects on the climate. You don't have as big uh, temperature differentials. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that California is necessarily a better climate for growing grapes. I don't know that it's even a better or worse comparison. I think it's just different. Um, We here in Arizona are growing in very dry, arid climates, but also have one of the largest temperature differentials in the world. We're growing in the high desert. We're growing at elevations between, you know, 3,000 and 5,000 feet. So it's not as if we're planting grapes in Phoenix. We're growing our grapes in the higher desert. Mm -hmm.
0: And are the grapes, the the varietal grapes grown here? I mean, For example, I know that Pinot Noirs coming from Oregon have a different flavor than ones coming from
2: California. Sure. And we really don't do a whole lot of Pinot Noir. That's one of the few grapes that is kind of difficult here. But are there varietals that are? Um, So like the southern France regions, like the Rhone and the Languedoc, um, you have Syrahs, Grenache, Mavedra. Also, a lot of the Italian grape varietals do really well here.
0: Also known as all my favorite varietals. Right.
2: (laughs) And then, um, in addition to that, we're growing a lot of grapes here that people aren't really growing widely in California anyway. I'm sure some people are, but, but not regularly. They're not the ones that you're gonna find. There's one vineyard down in Wilcox that has, I think, 87 different grape varietals planted in it.
1: Wow! Wow! Which
2: is amazing.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, it's hard to name that many grape varietals. I think for most people,
1: I can name maybe so,
2: ten. Okay, so,
0: Mark, reference last year we went on this awesome camping trip with you to the Bonita Springs, and they had I did not with go walking.
1: membership. Club.
0: Yeah. Oh, it was it was awesome, and I unfortunately did not take in walk through the vineyard
1: yeah i can't believe you didn't do that, that was. Well, i was not was feeling
0: cool. well that There's day i apologize so this yeah. year i'm gonna this okay. year i'm gonna go and like have fun watching the people nice. hopefully do another scavenger hunt because yeah. that was, that was a blast how many different varietals are growing at that vineyard let's
2: see bonita springs we have cabernet sauvignon Cab Franc, merlot um, muscat uh, we used to have Zinn, but we replanted to something different. Zinn's another challenging grape here because it tends to be very rot-prone. And we have harvest rain. Um, let's see.
1: As we're speaking, Chardonnay. it is harvest and there is rain. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the monsoons. You have to.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, so those are the major grape varietals. there in the Bonita Springs vineyard. And I'm sure there are a couple of smaller plots of things that I'm forgetting. Oh, the Pinot Gris and I think there is a little bit of Pinot Noir. I'm not positive about that. But it's definitely something we've never made a single varietal wine out of for Arizona Stronghold. So,
0: so it'll be interesting. So those all can be either blended together done or by themselves. themselves. Yeah. So it gives it all sorts of fun depending yeah. on who's, who's doing the...
2: And that vineyard, too, so we were talking about warmer versus cooler, and within the realm of that Wilcox wine-growing region, the Bonita Springs Vineyard is one of the cooler sites, so we're growing our Bordeaux grapes there, oh, wow. and the Pinots, they like a little bit cooler temperatures. Um, the Arizona Stronghold Vineyard, or sorry, was formerly Arizona Stronghold Vineyard is now Alveol Memorial Vineyard. That I mentioned earlier is a little bit warmer. It's in the Kansas Settlement area of Wilcox, and that's where they've got you know the Syrah, the Grenache, the Mavéd, Petite Syrah, Malvasia Bianca. Um, that's actually in both vineyards. Malvasia is so there's a lot going on, and you definitely should plant based on your site and the temperatures that you.
1: Speaking sit of down. sites, the Kansas Settlement is south of the Playa. Wilcox. The Bonita Springs is north of the Playa. Yep. Is there any difference between that just being north or south in that valley?
2: I think that probably has to do with why it's cooler up at the at the Bonita Springs Vineyard. Because you have different varietals growing You probably have different
1: wind patterns coming in off the mountains. You've got all that different stuff so.
2: And you would definitely orient your vineyard rows Mm -hmm. um, according to the winds too.
1: Okay.
2: I haven't spent nearly as much time down there as I would like to. It's it about a six a hour drive. drive. It is
1: gorgeous. It's a yeah. long way out there. That's it was, New it New was so
0: much fun though.. Yeah.
1: All right, and all of the other like distractions yeah, on the way down there are hilarious. The like the the apple annies, the pecan trees, the the thing. Oh God the <laughs> <All> thing. <laughs> right. did you
2: go to the thing?
1: We went to the thing, but we didn't actually go into the thing. I we think didn't pay this for year
2: it. since
0: we're going to come down we the still day don't before, know what the thing is. We might spend the extra time and go see what the thing
2: is. You probably should find out what the thing is. I think everybody needs to. Yeah, I think I did it when I was a kid, but I don't remember it.
0: I grew up in a small town, and these poor people listening to this are like, yeah, we get it. (laughs) Northern Wisconsin, if you look at, like, the top ten hideous or unusual roadside attractions, we have a half a block long, four-story high, fiberglass muskie. So...
1: Muskelunge uh, is a very large fish with giant teeth. So okay. I love Think me some roadside attractions. He has big adventure where he's in the, the dinosaur mouth. Except,
0: except, except it's, a fish. it's a giant fish. I like how you knew that I was gonna ask. About that. <laughs> yes. Not everybody knows. Don't yeah? They're they're big sports fish. You don't eat them.
1: If you ever turn okay. on ESPN and you're like, oh, we're in Hayward today. It's it's either lumberjack competition, which is this weekend, which is this weekend, <laughs> the Muskie Festival or the Burkebiner Ski Festival. Ski race. So right. like Hayward is a is a little resort town in the middle of nowhere in the the woods of Wisconsin. And apparently, it's super popular with a whole bunch of sports. Yeah, so.
2: interesting. So it's the freshwater I'm,
1: fishing Hall of Fame is there. Yeah,
2: and
0: that's where the big the big fish the Muskie yeah. comes from. And so I am. I love me some good roadside crazy attractions, so we were like, let's go and see what the thing is. But then we were like, we don't have time to go and do the whole movie. We got distracted
1: by all the 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 gift shop there and all the
2: other
0: things. So we we should definitely
2: go early. Go see the thing. I think we
0: need to meet and go do the thing, and And then then go go. get some apples. Okay. And then go go and like set
1: up our home. Have you been to the apple apple pie there?
2: I have not actually gone to We
1: didn't know what to expect, and people are like, we're driving up and it's like, oh, turn here for apples, and we're like, eh, all right. So we turn there for apples. There, no joke, 1,500 people. Yeah in Those the middle of little... nowhere in Arizona. In Wilcox, yeah. like, this is six hours from our house. Hu- from, from Clarkdale, it's six hours. From our house, it's four hours. Mm-hmm. You go to Tucson, and then you go double that distance, and then you're out in the middle of nowhere, and that's it. There's 1,500 people that are all milling about, like, everyone's got apples, there's kids running around, there's, like, fry bread going on over here, there's donuts, and just,
2: well, and when we do That's our great. camp out, it's really close to Halloween, yep. and they have mm-hmm. Apple Annie's also has a bunch of pumpkin patches, and you can go pick out your pumpkin and do their little pumpkin festival thing. And Which was, we, we I've did, seen we were the early. signs, I haven't gone, I need to go check it out.
1: It was it was very crowded, but it was neat.
2: The apples yes. were, were awesome. The apples were very good. So it was fun to
0: like because with the camping you guys had a coffee bar yeah and we had our own apple cider donuts. so it was like we're in heaven (laughs) life is good we'll bring enough to share next year or this year you know that would be
2: great because we need some
0: breakfast food i was thinking you guys did a great job with all the food for how many people we had i love to to bake so maybe i'll have to bake some fun (laughs) treats to bring along that would
2: be a blast because if you guys are
0: if you're willing i'm i'm Always, oh yeah, I love to bake. Go for it. I have a mean coconut cupcake.
1: Those are that pretty sounds
0: good. a awesome. little chocolate ganache on top to go with some oh, red yeah. wine for dessert.
2: Let's yeah, so let's plan on that. Okay, um, only if you want to, of course. It's oh, a lot of work. It or is. Or if you but just wanted to bring like a ten of them and just share them with us, that's fine too.
0: If this is for the strong people only. <laughs> but um, so anyways, so back to all of the that this is the interesting aspect of the wine. But did you ever really think when you were young that you would really be
2: out doing this? Absolutely not. Cause I, you were saying I, you were doing, oops, that
1: was, sorry. You grew up in Phoenix, right?
2: I did, yeah, I grew so up in Phoenix. It
1: wasn't even an option there.
2: Sustaining, sustainability. Sustainability was my major at ASU, my bachelor's degree.
0: Which now you can actually apply to what you're doing. I can, yeah,
2: I actually took a course on sustainable food and farming that was fascinating to me, which kind of led me to my career, which I just really, up until that point, I always thought that wine was something that people inherited through their families, and I didn't realize it was something that you could get into easily otherwise. Nor did I know that we had this Arizona wine industry happening until yeah. when my did last, it, my senior year, ASU.
0: So what year was that roughly? 2012. Okay. Yeah. Because I remember about that time, maybe a year before, one of our good friends that I think you actually know also, our fr- um, friend Dennis.
2: Uh, oh, blood, blood to, into wine. Yes. Yeah. The, yeah. the documentary.
0: And he was like, "Hey, let's watch this," and I'm watching this, going. I lived in Prescott Valley for 11 years. Yeah. And when I left, it was 2008, went down to Phoenix, and we watched this video three years later, and I was like, holy fuck, how cool is that, that that's happening in the Verde Valley? That's happening in Southern Arizona, that people are rediscovering this really cool industry that, again, as we talked before, was prevalent Pre-prohibition, yeah. right. But who would have
1: thought? And slept, slumbered for sixty years, and just didn't, wasn't around, wasn't able. But that's that's also a symptom of the local first Arizona, the local movements, yeah, the locavore thing, and all of those movements are kind of coming back. And that's that's
2: no, that's really trendy right now, which is great, sustainably speaking. I'm gonna go get another glass of wine, so I'm gonna excuse that. myself and let you two keep talking. One thing that i think is interesting is that um you still go into restaurants you go into a restaurant that's really focused on um sourcing from local farmers Mm -hmm. and you know that's the trend right now in food
1: absolutely and there's there's nothing wrong with that they still don't have any arizona
2: wine on the list they'll get there they'll get there it's hard and and because we're making such boutique wines i mean mm -hmm. arizona stronghold is the largest producer of arizona wine but uh, California would laugh at our production size. Absolutely. It's tiny, comparatively speaking. We are still a boutique winery, sure. a craft winery.
1: But all across the nation, there are other wineries. There's other states that are starting to become known oh, for yeah. wine. That every are... single state has wine. Yep.
2: So um, there's actually, shout out to Andrew Stover. He's a sommelier and he has a distribution business where he carries wine from all 50 states. Okay. Yeah, he's pretty cool. He lives on the East Coast.
1: Interesting. Does he rotate out in within the individual state? Or does he do? Uh, does he have like a flagship for each state?
2: I'm not really sure. I just know that he's been a huge proponent of Arizona wine industry, and he's come out like he did. A, he came out and did a little seminar for us for one of our classes at Yapa Pie, and he's just been really helpful trying to get other people interested in Arizona wine.
1: Interesting. So, so I we I have to say that I did watch the Netflix Psalm documentary oh yeah wait the, Sommel- the first
2: one or the second one
1: probably the first one okay this is a while ago okay uh the sommeliers that are going through their final yeah. exam to become yes. you know that
2: movie gave me so much anxiety
1: it did it was it was a it was a crapshoot because you had just got by dive bombed by a dragonfly <laughs> uh, that movie was uh, such a crapshoot because it was movie documentary the um just the the gamut the people you know this is an old-world wine this is uh, earlier than 2008 this is from a, a warm climate this is like all the things that you can gather from the wine and whether or not like how much consistency there was between them all it was interesting to watch that I don't have an actual yeah. I didn't draw a conclusion from that but it's, well, an interesting, it's hard
2: to like actually get your sommelier certification it's very expensive yep um, not only the tests are expensive but you have to be able to afford all those wines for study
1: yep, studying has got to be yeah. that's, a, that's a big lab fee to swallow
2: yeah, Literally. Huge. insane yeah, and these people get up and they start drinking and tasting wine before they even have coffee that is dedication that yeah. is somewhere that I probably won't ever I will probably never reach that level
1: yeah, as a producer I don't is that,
2: it's not, it's more service oriented,
1: it is but then again, you're also you're going to benefit from them sampling your wines and having their own opinions and Absolutely. working it out for themselves and the reviews coming in and all that. So it's interesting. I, the one thing I noticed about your Oddity Collective lineup is you're going to have a, like, it sounded like interesting blends that weren't something that.
2: Yeah, we thought very, it worked because our name is the Oddity Wine Collective. Exactly. Um, we're putting grapes together that not everybody puts together. Um, our white blend is a Viognier and Riesling blend. Okay. Uh, dry, not sweet at all, and really great acidity, some really neat um, citrus characteristics. I cannot wait to release that one, um, and it's really integrated nicely since we have blended it. So we're really excited about that one. Um, the next blend is probably the most common of our three blends. It's uh, Syrah, Grenache, and Zinfandel normally you wouldn't see Zin blended with Syrah and Grenache, although it's not unheard of. There's a producer in the Central Coast region of California, uh, Liné Colado, and they do that blend sometimes. We love their wines, they're great. Um, and then our third blend I think is another super strange one. It's called the Unsanctioned and it is Petit Syrah, which is this like super inky tannic jammy Mm -hmm. like huge varietal i
1: don't know much but all of those words are what i like
2: yeah (laughs) and then sangiovese it's it's half and half 50 50. and sangiovese in arizona is kind of like a really delicate pinot sort of really bright fruit really light light in body and in tannins so it's pretty mellow um, and fruit driven really easy drinking And so you, you know, you think it would probably just get swallowed up by the petite Syrah in the blend, but they complemented each other really nicely and um, we actually decided on our blends via blind tasting trials. Really? Yeah, we had a friend come in and we're like, we don't want to know what these are, but like put them together. And this is what, like, these are the proportions that we're working with. So stay within these proportions, and that's how we came up with our red blends.
1: That's that's pretty yeah. cool. Because then you don't you don't go into it with prejudice. You don't go into it with like right. a preconceived notion. I like notion this of what it's kind, it's and you
2: like that, and we're gonna argue. It's, which we certainly <laughs> yeah. did a little bit. It, it was kind be. of we all approached it when we were talking about what we're gonna blend. There were so many more things that went into it than what we had anticipated. Um, you know, when we started our business, when we sat down at the bar across the street here, the 1012, over whiskeys, and first started talking about maybe starting our wine label together. We are like, yeah, I mean, with the three of us, we all have similar palates. You know, we like the same things, we're into the same ideas and concepts, so it should be a piece of cake. Mm -hmm. We'll get along really well, we'll have the same ideas about things, and we won't ever argue, and um, (laughs) quickly, (laughs) quickly, uh, that proved itself a lie. Although I wouldn't say that we have any, like, major arguments or...
1: Talk to any band ever.
2: Oh, right. It's exactly, exactly. that. Yeah. They make
1: great music, yeah. unfortunately. They all hate each Sometimes
2: other. Sometimes they absolutely hate each other. Yeah. We don't absolutely hate each other, no, ever. I wouldn't imagine. That's but true. But we've only been in business
1: <laughs> for a <laughs> year and a half. Right, so, that could change. You never know.
2: There's plenty of time. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm thinking
0: we'll find out when the second releases. And maybe come so we can stay overnight and the next day like do brunch yeah and have like revisit some of this and maybe bring the yeah. guys along uh-huh see what they uh let them listen to For what sure. we talked about today and yep. and kind of revisit and go oh my gosh remember when we thought this and this happened yeah,
2: yeah. well i mean blending wise we had a, like a lot of like we wanted to do single varietals and not do blends and then Things happen, stuff changes, and we decided to do blends, but then it was like, how many blends? Do we blend everything? And then, well, what are we gonna blend? The fruit
0: that you chose to blend, do they all come from the same vineyard, or do they come from different vineyards?
2: Uh, Three different vineyards. Really? So the Buell Vineyard, which we've mentioned. Um, Our friend Michael Pierce, who is now the director of Enology at the college. Um, His family's vineyard, which is just a stone's throw from the Albule vineyard and then also from somebody's backyard in sedona it, that's where it. we got the zen from that's awesome so uh, we farmed those grapes for the year prior and, and as
1: you said the zen is the hard done. is a hard one to grow here
2: very so. difficult um because of the issues with the fungal issues
1: okay. Mold. Yeah.
2: is that a really normal thing Mostly for people wrong. to just be like hey i
0: have several acres of property i'm just gonna throw up some li- some vines and
2: it's see it's what having a really normal thing and a lot of our like acquaintances and friends who live here are like hey i have this land you guys probably want to plant grapes on it right we <laughs> are like uh, we all work more than full-time and have our own business, so I don't really see any time for that. Um, and they don't understand like how much work it is, how much time-consuming, how time-consuming it is. It's just, um, and then a lot of people will, they will have people plant, or they will plant in their yard and be like, oh, of course somebody's gonna want the grapes. But unless they've been farmed in a certain way, you know, if we're looking for specific numbers, There's a big diesel truck. A big diesel truck. Dang. Go, buddy. So, we're looking for for the pH to be in the right place. Obviously, for a lack of issues as far as mold, mildew, pests. Mm -hmm. fungus, all kinds of things, whatever it is.
1: Which being in a backyard may be hard to control. Yeah, well,
2: and this particular vineyard is right up on Oak Creek. And Zinn is just, it's it's not a loose cluster. So every different varietal, and for those of you who are listening who just don't know what I'm even talking about right now, the varietal is kind of like the same thing of um, there are different types of apples, so there's a Gala Apple, and there's a Fuji Apple, and there's a Honeycrisp, which is the best kind of apple. <laughs> Heck yeah! But anyway, so the grape varietal, they're all genetically different from each other. And they all have very different characteristics and traits, and um, very skilled vineyard people can actually go out into the vineyard and identify different grapes based on their leaf shapes and their their grape clusters
0: you just totally blew my mind <laughs> yeah i mean that there are different I, leaf shapes oh like, well, yeah. i, I oh, mean yeah. you know you think all oak trees have leaves like this right all wine no. or grapes have yeah. leaves
2: like that really Yep. Yeah, that's a you, huge way to identify a grape or that's really yeah, cool. leaf shape. you totally blew my mind brie so we'll Google that after the podcast. Nice, <laughs> and I'll show you. Let's trust you. Um, but then, yeah, the clusters. So certain grapes, you have this giant cluster. It's elongated, um, berry size. Individual berry size is another huge thing. So Zinfandel has these really packed clusters with really large berries and what happens when it rains is that the berries actually take on that water and they swell Ooh. so you have a cluster that's already a tight cluster of very large berries and then you swell those berries and what happens is that they break that Ooh. and then the water also gets trapped in the water and the juice from the broken berries gets trapped inside the middle of the cluster okay. and it can't ever air out and then that's what—that's when you have what we call bunch rot, which is just putrid and disgusting. And your cluster might even look from a distance like it's okay, but you get in there and it's all rotten on the inside. Oh. So very, very common problem with Zinfandel in Arizona because we always have rain at harvest and humidity. It's not as if those are gonna dry out. So there is a sticky rotten mess. So it's very difficult. And there are things that you can do to try to mitigate that and prevent it. So that's kind of what we did at this home vineyard. Um, we spent the year prior just trying to give it its best possible chance, and we only took—I don't even think we took half the fruit because we wow. only took the clusters that were not affected by bunch rot.
0: Is that something that you also learned at the school, like how to go out and m- manipulate, for lack yeah, of a better term? Absolutely. Yeah. The vines. So these are
2: viticulture strategies. Um, Aaron, who's my boyfriend and part of the Oddity Wine Collective, he is amazing. He's like the grapevine whisperer, in my opinion. He just he gets it. There it is. You got
0: your snort. Yay!
2: <laughs> I was hoping for a good cheers snort for that. Podcast. That was
0: a good cheers.
2: Thank you, Aaron. Um, So yeah, so Aaron, he just gets the grapevines. Like, I don't understand them on the level that he does because he can just walk out in the vineyard and be like, oh, this is like, this one's water stress and this one isn't getting enough of this nutrient and da-da-da-da-da, and oh, there's some early signs of powdery mildew over there, and just like, I, yeah, you lost me. I mean, I understand what all of these things are, but I'm not going to be able to just like walk through a vineyard and identify them. Did he have any farming and or horticulture prior to his training at the college absolutely none
0: really yeah so it just is his (laughs) sixth sense he 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 is he gets
2: it i mean and he and he was very dedicated at school more so than i was we won't judge Um, um and he he just always just seemed to have a knack for it um but that's good because yeah. then everybody brings is bringing we something different bring to the table something unique to the to the team that's good so his knowledge of these things is so much greater than mine so he kind of took point in that situation and helped us put ourselves in the best place for getting good fruit. fruit
1: i'm
0: i'm really looking forward to november my dear
2: i can't wait for you to try the wine
0: because you're gonna do November for the red, yes. and and September for September the white. September for the
2: white, yeah. Beginning of November for the red, and yes. September for the white. Unless things change, but that's the tentative plan. It's in my calendar book, which I carry around with me. It's kind of my life. So if it's written down on the calendar, it's likely to stay there.
1: Yes. Awesome. And that'll just about do it for the interview portion of this. If you'd like to tune in for the bull session that we also recorded uh, as a bonus with Bree Nation here about uh, a couple of movies and that sort of thing. Check into our Thursday release. Should be coming out here in a couple days. Because that's how calendars work. Thanks again for listening to Arizona.FYI I've been Mark, that was Karen and Bree Don't forget to check out our website Arizona.FYI We take pictures when we go out to do interviews or research and we'll share them there You can also find our subreddit so you can discuss the episodes and our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook accounts, all that stuff Uh, All available at Arizona.FYI And remember when you're out exploring our state don't forget to bring us along for the ride
0: when I come back again, I'll marry you.
1: Catamapunde <laughs> you are my guiding star. Don't forget to talk your son,
2: when it's fine.